Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. We just wrapped up a special little series there from our track sessions from the Exponential Conference this year. And now we're jumping back into track sessions from the National Disciple Making Forum that we hosted last year. Next up is Small Circle, given one of their track sessions. Small Circle is a collection of disciple making tools with a one to one dynamic. They believe that deeper levels of relationships can be found beyond the group experience. Small Circle captures that life-changing power of one-to-one relationships. So make sure you check out smallcircle.com and also download their app for free. All right, let's jump in and hear these track sessions from Small Circle. Here we go. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for coming to this workshop. Appreciate you being here. Um, I'm going to invite you uh, to text the word small circle, one word, to 97,000. What that will do for you, uh, it will give you my credit card number. It will, uh, no, it's okay. It will give you the notes that you're going to see up here on the screen. So I know when you're at a conference, sometimes you want to go compare notes or maybe look at it. Your head is going to get so full. Hey, Jake. Good to see you, man. Um, that you're going to get uh, so full of information, it might be nice to review later on. Hey, what, what was that that they covered? Also, there will be a link at the end of that. Uh, we'll be, uh, we have disciple-making tools, like a lot of people. We offer them at no cost. We have a mobile app, et cetera. So you'll hit that link, and it will take you right to some of those links. So small circle to text it to 97,000, and uh, you, can, um, you can get that going. Well, my name is Steve McCoy. I'm a pastor in Sarasota, Florida. I uh, planted a church 15 years ago with, as an experiment. If we could uh, have a church that has zero financial debt, uh, could we be a church that was deprogrammed? And uh, could we have a church where uh, we had disciple-making at a table for two, Paul, Timothy, David, Jonathan-style disciple-making at the very core of who we were? So 15 years later, uh, God has expanded that dream and that experiment uh, from our corner to the corners of the world. And um, I come to you today as a pastor. Um, and I say that because I, I love the local church and I champion pastors and leaders uh, that are um, rowing hard. And uh, therefore, we offer our tools at no cost uh, and want to, that's a support from, from uh, us to you. And so uh, our tools now are in 100 countries, and uh, we are in 40 to 50 languages. So uh, for those of you that know people in the world, like, man, this is, I thought this was a, an American phenomenon, uh, but uh, in, in the absence of disciple making, but truly having traveled around the world, it is, uh, it is a global phenomenon. All right, let me pray. Father, thank you so much. Uh, for this time of gathering, for workshops, for conferences. And I recognize, God, that there is so much information that's, that's coming to each of us. So once again, God, I'm just asking that you uh, help, through the power of the Holy Spirit, filter what each person needs to know that would be effective to advance the kingdom wherever they are living, working, and playing. Thank you so much, God, for being uh, so good to us in so many different ways and tangible ways. And so, God, in this hour that we have, would you give us a sense of clarity in our minds, 
openness in our hearts, God, that we might hear uniquely from you in the, in the way, God, that only you can whisper. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Um, so today we are talking about um, uh, the practicality of disciple making. In our last session, I always like to kind of bring everybody up to snuff because I know in the conference we're all kind of, we're going to different ones. I know that uh, we had some people here from our last session, so bear with me for about five minutes. Um, uh, the, so you'll get an understanding of small circle and what we're about. Um, we recognize that around the world that most church cultures are operating in what we call a two-circle operating system. I'm very careful to say both of these circles are beautifully distinctive and very needed. The big circle represents collective worship. Most of us have that you know, Sunday morning or Sunday night or uh, Saturday or Thursday night, whenever that is, collective worship across uh, the world is happening, right? So we know that. Even in the house church, it's a collective time. The mid-sized circle represents groups of some kind. Maybe they're Bible studies, maybe they're home groups, maybe they are um, uh, adult Sunday school. Some churches are, are, are uh, doing that. And so these represent groups of some kind. We recognize that Jesus had both of these circles, by the way. He spoke to the crowds. He also had his core. But we also know that within the core, Jesus had smaller relationships, closer relationships with Peter, James, and John. In our last session, we looked at how we God has biologically created us to be designed for both of these circles, but also a circle that's smaller. And that circle is a, a circle of intimacy, a circle of very much uh, uh, confidentiality and closeness. Jesus had the crowd, he had the 12, he had the three, and he had John. It's interesting that Jesus experienced all those levels and every single one of them is important. In our church cultures, we have put a lot of intentionality into these two circles. Would you agree? I have three church services coming up this Sunday. The investment that we've put in for kids ministry, for uh, greeting teams, for safety teams, for preaching, for the worship ministry. We put a lot of intentionality. We put a lot of intentionality in our groups. But when it comes to Paul Timothy style disciple making, we've kind of left it to the Yodas of the church that and every church has three or four Yodas. And so the challenge with the Yoda is that I have found that it's not replicatable because if, you, if you're sitting at the, you know, at Panera Bread with somebody that just, man, they can open up the Bible and just kind of flow with it. And, oh, your marriage is in a little bit of trouble. Let's go over here to Ephesians 5. And, man, they're flowing with it. And all the time there's this growing sense of inadequacy. And when I, as a pastor, next year will be my 40th year in the ministry. As a pastor, when I say, to, you know, we can preach great messages <coughs> on disciple making. And everybody's nodding their head up and down. We can say, here's the Great Commission. Everybody's nodding their head up and down. But I challenge you, after church, to go up to a single individual and say to them, hey, Bob, why don't you disciple someone, and st let's start this week, and watch the fear just go right over their eyes, right? So what we've done is that we've often limited disciple-making to the pros, to the leadership. This is the point of this session. How do we get everyday people in the game at a Paul Timothy level. I believe that's, that it is impossible. In fact, I would say it this way, that we are to 
engage and what you're seeing on the screen, we're to engage in this scripture verse, Ephesians 4. And for a pastor for me, this is one of the greatest things, not to prepare sermons, although I do, not to be an administrator in my church, although I do, not to be with people when they're grieving and hurting, although I do. But I think that one of our greatest assignments is to prepare or equip God's people for the work of the ministry. So um, I want to go back a little bit, and, and this, is, this is the key to our conversation today. The only way to create a movement of disciple-making in a church or an organization is to make sure that you're including everyday people. Now, that's true for everything. If you want a revolution, you got to have everyday people. It can't just be the people and you know certain uh, you know leaders, etc. So a movement or a culture is created with everyday people. Look at the model of Jesus, right? And they were shocked at the that these were ordinary, uneducated, right, folks, right, fishermen, blah blah blah. And I will say, as a pastor. Not only do you need everyday people to create a movement, but that's when it gets exciting. It really gets boring when we're the only ones doing it. When you see other people, especially at this level of involvement, it is really incredible. So I want to do a little bit of math with you. Let's say, for example, you have uh, 120 people in a typical home group. Okay, And for easy math, let's say, for example, you have... 10, uh, 10 uh, groups. So that's 12, uh, let's say, well, let's say actually 10 people in a group, all right? So we'll have 12 leaders, right? 12 leaders. If you take those same number of people and you're at a table for two, one-to-one -one disciple making, how many disciples do you have? Disciple makers. How many disciple makers do you have? 60. I know a lot of you thought, he's tricking me. There's got to be a tricky answer. Yeah. In other words, you have 60 people in the game at a very meaningful level as opposed to 12 people. Now, I want to say something that I like to be heard loud and clear. This is not anti, our talk today is not anti-group. We have 35 groups in our church. The groups are wonderful. They, they give something that a one-to-one -one can't do, and they give something that a, that a collective worship service can't do. There was something beautifully distinctive in each of these groups. The relationships were different in Jesus' ministry, right? Here, they were pretty, let's say, casual, right? Nobody got in big fights on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, everybody was getting along. Not only to here, when we got to the core... And then when we got to this little pocket of three to the close, did things get a little bit intense? So again, we do these fairly well. What happens, though, is that when we get into a group and we say, man, our group has got to become more close, and but it's not designed for that. It's like trying to hang a picture with a pair of pliers. Will it work? Yeah, maybe, right? But you need a hammer. And that's why when you look at the, the relationship with Jesus and John, it was not casual. It was not core. It wasn't even close. It was confidential. He was a confidant, let's say, right? We looked at this in our last group. I would even say, watch this, that the, that the content is different here. When Jesus preached, as we do on a Sunday morning, I'm going to say the, the content was common. It was common. In other words, I'm going to get up and preach this Sunday. I recognize 
oh, there's that guy. He hasn't come to Christ yet. There's that person. I know that they're on the journey towards Christ, but they haven't made that decision. Oh, there's Bob. He just came to Christ two weeks ago. Oh, wow. There's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They've been followers of Christ for 50 years. I have to speak to all of them, right? I don't want to go over their heads of, of unbelievers. I don't want to make it boring for the seasoned believers. So it's common. When you come to the group, just like Jesus did, like here's the comment, blessed are the meek in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. This applies to everybody. It's a parable. Now, when we get back to the group, not only is it it's no longer common, it's concentrated. Let's do a Bible study on the book of Philippians. Let's talk about this. It's concentrated, all right? But when you come to the one-to-one -one, one -one relationship, it's no longer common. It's not just concentrated. This is a key word. It's customized. It's customized. What does that mean by that? I'm going to speak to Jerry, and I'm going to speak at a one-to-one -one what applies to Jerry. If I have a, ro a room of four or five people, okay, I just can't speak to Jerry's thing, it's no, I, but I can customize it. Are you following? All right, so, you, so to have this kind of movement, we've got to engage everyday people. Okay, problem. Most people are freaked out by this. So how do we do it? So how are we going to equip them, right? So... Let me address when you're using tools, there is a conversation I have over and over and over, which is, uh, should we do organic or should we do organized? In other words, should we use tools or should we just kind of let it rip? Well, I've already kind of indicated that when you have just let's do it random, I haven't seen a great level of replication with that model. But let's be honest, okay? There are some downsides of using tools. And, and so I'd, I'd rather just, uh, um, just go ahead and hit it. So here's some downsides of using tools. Number one, they can be, it can just be about information transfer. That, you know, I'm going to do a book, you do the, the questions, I do the questions, and it's about the information. Disciple making includes information, but it is not just information. We, we're gonna, we look at this in our session tomorrow morning. We are, we are on the end of the information age. The information age started in the mid-20th century. We are on the end of it. We've got more information that we know what to do with, and you don't need a disciple maker. You have Mr. YouTube and Google and everybody else, right? So we've got all the information. The information is important, but Jesus said, teach them to obey the things I've commanded, not just teach them the things I've commanded. So it can be, it can be a little bit... Um, a bit of information transfer. It can be academic and dry when you have tools and books and all that stuff. Totally get that. And also, I believe that it can miss a life on life. You know, that is the core of disciple making. So these are the typical arguments that I, that I hear when we're saying, hey, let's look at some tools and how to get practical with, uh, with um, disciple making and try to get everyday people. I call them soccer mom Sally and truck driver Ted. How do we get those... Uh, uh, those, in fact, I ripped off truck driver Ted from Bobby Harrington. If you're listening, yes, I just gave you credit for that. Just, uh, <laughs> so, um, so when you look at these downsides, I would say that we don't just say, hey, Bob, why don't you just give it your best shot to get over these things? I believe that the tools have to be designed in order to get over these things. And we're going to see that. Here's the upsides of using tools. And I think that they are obviously outweigh the downsides of, of using tools. Number one, it builds confidence. I'm telling you, 
uh, many years on this journey, it is the greatest obstacle to everyday people in your churches and organizations, disciple-making. Trust me on that. You can take it to the bank. Most people do not feel adequate because we have inadvertently created an expert culture. What we're doing now is expert culture. There's one sage on the stage. That happens to be me. There's one guy talking. Everybody's listening, right? This is what we do. We didn't have evil intent by doing it, but we've just done it. We have a group, and there's, there's a Bible study, and there's one guy that knows more about the Bible than the rest of us. So we're all going to listen to him, right? So when it comes to sitting at a table for two and I've got to pour into somebody, that's when I feel inadequate. So tools will build confidence. Number two, replication. So what we've seen with our tools is that we have seen disciple makers become disciples at a success rate above 80%. Above 80%. And that is super critical. That is super critical. In my own local church, we are on our fifth, going into our sixth generation of disciple making. Yowza. That's when it gets exciting. Replication is really, really key. Here's the next thing. It keeps people on track. To be honest with you, as a pastor, I was a little bit, uh, let's say, leery when we planted our church. Uh, I was leery to say, man, kind of like Jesus, probably when he sent out the 72, like, this could really bomb, you know, this could, this could really tank. And sure enough, they came, you know, back celebrating the wrong thing. And Jesus had to say, okay, let me course correct that for just a second. But it must have been a bit scary for him to say, hey, we're going to send you out there and hoping that Bob doesn't talk to you, Ted on the first discipleship, you know, session about, you know, the beast in Revelation. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> we're just on number one, right? Lesson one. So, but I think with tools, it's kind of like railroad, you know, tracks. It kind of, it does help people uh, keep on track. The, the, the final one is that it's comprehensive. What I find in a more organic approach is that it's, it's less comprehensive. So I had a, um, somebody pour into me and they were really into John Eldridge. almost said John Elway, <laughs> for those of you in Colorado. Uh, John Eldridge. I love John Eldridge. I've read Wild at Heart five times. I think I've now underlined every sentence in the book because, you know, as I go through every time. I talked about my father's wound. I know what it is. I'm creating it in my own sons now. I'm such a master at a father's wound. And so I, I get all that. But that's all we talked about because it was super organic. And I do believe that tools are, allow us to say, hey, let's make sure it's comprehensive. And, and that's where I'm going to start. So Stephen Covey said, let's begin with the end in mind. So if you're studying to be a CPA and you're going to get an office space and you're going to hang your, you know, your sign on the, on the front door and say, I'm a CPA, then what happens is you're going to want to say, then what will it take for me to become a CPA? So when you look at a disciple maker, shouldn't we, if we're going to create tools, shouldn't we look at what the end result, what do we want our disciple to be? And what do we want him to know, him or her to know? What do we want to the end result to be? If you have an end result, then what happens is you can then measure along the way, oh, we're successful now. We're successful. Mm -hmm. If you're organic, then you don't know. Are we, is, it's like playing on a football field with no first down marks or no lines at all. Like, was I out of bounds or not out of bounds? It'd probably be a friendlier game, maybe. I'm not quite sure. But so I think there are four areas of spiritual growth that we would say, man, if we could, 
I just want you to envision someone in your church being discipled at a Paul Timothy level, and at the end of that time, it will take you will say, "Man, they were they were able every taken by an everyday person discipling an everyday person, and if they came out this way, man, that would be powerful. It will change the culture of your church." First one is ground zero beliefs. It is a little scary and a little shocking these days if you ask even the most simple theological question. We no longer preach like Spurgeon. So we're, we're, we're more topical preaching, etc. So in the big circle, they're not often getting that firm foundation. Uh, as firm, and, and maybe, as we're going to see in one of our sessions, maybe they're hearing it, but I'll go ahead and tip my hand and say that people, educators tell us that people only remember 80% or 20% of what they hear. So how's that expert culture working for you? That's like Jesus coming down and only doing sermons on the mount. No, no conversations with Zacchaeus or Martha or the woman at the well. Nothing. It's only going to be sermon-based. And we're only going to have thousands of people. And we're going to expect the people to go from A to B and life change just because they heard a message or a podcast or whatever that might be. Ground beliefs. And at a table for two, or in a, even a, a micro group, I think, uh, is that you have the ability to say, Jake, did you get that? Or what are you struggling with? So... And, and some of the sessions that I do uh, when I travel and do sessions, um, I do a um, I do a uh, a survey. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quick survey with you guys. Let's just have a little fun here. I'm gonna go off script. Um, I want you to. I'm gonna give you a multiple choice answer, uh, some uh, multiple choice questions and some answers, and I want you to stand when you think the, the right answer is. Let me give them to you at, at, um, at once, okay? So let's talk about, for example, uh, prayer, okay? On average, with our everyday people in our church, let's assess prayer. Now, I, it's going to seem like I'm going to throw some rocks here at our church culture, but I'm going to say that we assess the things that we love. If we're not willing to assess it, take an honest look at it, I, would, I propose to you that we really don't love it. So on average, an American evangelical, how many minutes in prayer does the average American evangelical spend alone with God? Okay, I'm going to give you a multiple choice here. All right? Now, I know we're praying throughout the day. We're threading prayer. You know, I always say, like, if you're a mom, you're driving your kids to school, dear God, please shut them up. Doesn't count. We're not talking about that. <laughs> Talking about Jesus-style prayer, I'm going to carve away time. Yes. I'm going to say, hey, no distractions, no phone, lights out, me, me and the Lord. That's the kind of prayer. I'm not asking you what you think it should be. I'm not asking you what you do. I'm asking about this session about everyday people, okay? On average, everyday people, do you think they spend one hour, 30 minutes, uh, say 15 minutes, two minutes, okay? If you think it's an hour a day, alone with the Lord, stand up. 
I just want you, I want you to notice that we kind of all know that there's, a, there's an issue. John Wesley spent two hours every morning in prayer. If you think it's 30 minutes, stand. If you think it's 15, stand. If you don't care and you're really not going to stand at any of them, let me know. I mean, I'd rather kind of know now. No, I'm not participating. If you think it's two minutes a day, stand. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just let uh, let me point out that God sees what you already see. God saw it before you saw it. This is what God's looking at, right? Before we throw any rocks, the average number of minutes that an American evangelical pastor spends a day is five. Five. Would you say it's a predicament? Disciple Makers Podcast listeners, I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Let's talk about tithing. And I know that's a a tough topic, but not for us. We're okay. (laughs) And let's do it simple. I know there's a lot of different you know, ideas, but God gives us 10 apples, we give one back. Let's just keep it that simple, right? I never use the word give in our church. It's always give back. One year's to begin with, so you're always giving back, right? And so um, the, the percentage of American evangelicals who are willing to give one apple back, uh, okay? So let's say it's 50%, 25%, 10%, uh, let's go 5%, all right? So half the church uh, is willing to give a tithe back to God, 10%. Stand. It's a room full of pastors, isn't it? <laughs> 25% of the American evangelicals are willing to give 10% back. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know, you know what we call these two guys? Optimistic. All right. Keep it going, man. All right. 10% are willing to give. Uh-huh. Okay, and 5%. Uh-huh, yeah. So, most of us, right, we would say it's in this range, and that's exactly where the range is, right? The answer on the low end, and most statistics will say it's 2.5%. 2.5%. Well, would you say this is a... Let's round it up to three and make ourselves feel a little better, right? <laughs> would you say this is a predicament? When we planted our church, we had several dreams. One is never be a church in debt. That was our deal. I'm not saying if you're in debt, you're bad. I'm just saying that was our deal. So we were bivocational for six years, rent an old warehouse, blah, blah, blah. So, so when I talk to my church about money, it's not because we're behind or I have any kind of uh, motivation, but I'm threading it sometimes in a message. 
but I don't hammer it. You know why? Because everyday people are talking about it at a table for two. And that's where it gets powerful. Giving, especially in America, is a heart issue. It was back in Jesus' day. We were treasurers, there's your heart, right? Billy Graham said, show me a man's checking book and I'll show you where his heart is. So it is a heart issue. So watch. We're talking about everyday people at a table with everyday people. And, and so as a pastor, let's say the, the percentage that we start with 3%. As a pastor in a church with no debt, aiming for the heart, a disciple making for two, a table for two, had it gone to 6%, I would have been thrilled because I'm like, cool, we're moving the needle. We did a survey about three or four years ago after doing one-to-one -one disciple making for about six years. I wanted to find out. It was an anonymous survey, and I wanted to find out, is there anything different in their prayer life? Anything different in their engagement in the Word of God? Anything different in their heart toward giving? Any difference in their heart toward the lost and sharing their faith? Anything different in, their, in, in the, how they're loving with another, one another and engaging with one another and working through conflict and all these types of things? I wanted to know because I assess the things I love. I wanted to take an evaluation. What if it were 9%? What if, it, what if their hearts had tripled and I would know, hey, we're on the right track here because disciple making from everyday people to everyday people at a table for two was making a difference, right? I served a dozen years in a 5,000 member church. It was the absolute best preaching I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it was me, but no. I was just going to say. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, man. That's what I'm talking about. Now, we had two of the most brilliant preachers. I, honestly, it was, you know, in the day when we did Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, Monday night, we, we, I mean, we were there and we were learning the Bible. I mean, we were going verse by, we went verse by verse in the book of Job for a year and a half. I mean, we're like, you know, get the shovels out. We're going deep, right? The percentage of the hearts was 3%. So we knew that didn't work. We knew that circle wasn't moving the needle. What if we had quadrupled it at one-to-one -one disciple making? Man, that would have been amazing. It wasn't 12 when I got the survey back. It wasn't nine. It wasn't six. It wasn't three. It was 37. Now that's a hard issue. That's why I took a private jet here to this conference. <laughs> so, okay. Nothing to do with money. Trust me. If you knew me, we're giving our, we're, our tools or we get zero profit. We're not here selling anything, pick our CDs up at the back table, not, none of that, right? It has been amazing to see the hearts of everyday people engaged and life change happening at a table for two. And again, I'm a practitioner. I'm a pastor, right? All right. So, uh, ground level beliefs. The next um, area of a disciple would be, man, we want them to love God. We want them to be selflessly in love with God and really have a, a radical. I mean, just think of the person that's in your, you know, I can think about four or five people that are just radical in our church in their love of God. What if we can make that, you know, just spread that. And, and so they, they're, they're not just praying 
two, three minutes a day, they're fasting, they're praying, they're studying the word. They're not just, you know, reading a devotional quiet time in the morning. They're, they're giving joyfully to God. They can't wait to give to God. Just think about that as an end result. The third area would be in, as a, at a table for two relationship. In other words, could we get past the casual, even the core kind of relationships and really, as we saw in our last session, live out the assignment of being intimate, relational uh, uh, image bearers to the world. All right, so let me be really transparent with a room full of people I don't know. As a pastor, whenever it comes, I'm 62 years old. When I don't, I plan to go with the George Mueller uh, plan to go to about, you know, 90 years old, 87 he was when he hung his hat on the rack. But whenever that moment is for me to to say, okay, I'm going to hand the baton off. My greatest disappointment in the church culture, and I know I'm speaking to a lot of pastors and leaders here, my greatest disappointment in the church culture is how poorly we have handled conflict. It's killing the kingdom. The migration from one church to the next and this, that, and the other. And this, oh, so and say come to a church because they're, they're, they're from this church downtown. I'm like, oh, really? I'm going to be happy about that? Mm. And, and like, by now, shouldn't we be able to disagree yeah. and still be cool? So, <laughs> it's a, so what if our disciples learn to work through conflict that way and, and, and really grow into a maturity. And finally, if we do all these things, so if we do all these three things and we don't do the last one, to me, we, we're not hitting the mark. And that is our disciple must become a multiplier, must become a multiplier. I love, and if you guys have read Disciple Shift, um, the book, uh, Bobby Harrington and Jim Putman, I love the the wheel there, you know, where it's, you know, uh, uh, you're lost, so there's a, we're dead to begin with, and then you're an infant, and then you're a child, and you're an adolescent. And I'm so glad they didn't put adult; they put parent. Really, you're not you're not really mature until you're until you're a parent. And so I believe these areas are really important. One of our main tools. I'm not going to make this about you know any advertisement, but um, our main tool is called Exchange, and these are the areas that we. Um, that we cover, these exact areas. Um, I'm going to show you how everyday people then move beyond information transfer. I think it's super important, and we've seen that happening over and over. In each of these sessions, each of these modules, each of them have six sessions. And so in each of these books, we have six sessions. So, and you'll notice, by the way, that um, the numbering system for this is a little different. Um, so the first book is zero, the second book is one, the third book is two, the third, fourth book is three. It has frustrated people around the world to my great delight. <laughs> I love frustrating people <laughs> because it makes them think. And, and each, each of these, we're so used to saying, ready, one, two, three, go. But each of these uh, titles and topics have to do with zero in the first book. So zero origin is why you've been created. That's Adam. The second zero is that you are now uh, created again, right? A new birth, second birth. Uh, no exceptions. Everybody was affected by this, the fall of Adam. Uh, it which brought, it's like gravity across the world. Uh, the cross of Christ 
with zero gravity, took the gravity of sin and shame away. No fears of resurrection in no way is impossible without the Holy Spirit. So we're kind of, you know, shaping these in hopefully a creative way and then how to make God first and then each of these. Um, uh, okay, let me give you a top view of our tools, but I'm making a broader point. Whether you use these tools, you don't use these tools, um, that's, that's not the point of the session. The point of the session is how do we get everyday people to disciple and then become, those disciples become disciple makers? One of, the, uh, one of the arguments that I hear sometimes for one-to-one -one disciple making is that it's easy for the disciple to become codependent on the disciple maker. I see people nodding their head up and down. So let me tell you a little story. So my background is music. I came to Christ in my 20s. I was studying in Boston at a conservatory, uh, studying to be a classical concert pianist. Uh, in fact, I have my doctorate degree, believe it or not, in, uh, in classical piano. I uh, practiced eight hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 364 days a year. I took Christmas Day off. If you're going to play at that level, and that, that's going to be your profession. That's what you're going to do. People ask, hey, were you good? I'm like, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you did basket weaving for that long, you'd be pretty good at baskets, right? So, um, but here's a, here's a really weird phenomenon that happened to me. So for 25 years, I took piano lessons. And the arrangement was one-to-one. -one. So you have an expert and you have a student. For 25 years, this is the way it, the arrangement, right? Every week of my life, including summers, every week of my life for 25 years, this was the arrangement. When it came time for me to do my first professional concert, I didn't have that. And after 25 years, I was lost. See, for 25 years, someone looking at my show and like, you know, you missed that F sharp and measure 14. You know, you're rushing the last page. You know, you're, you're overpedaling through that whole section. And you know, your left hand's too loud. Okay, mm -hmm, check. Okay, I'll change it. I'll change it, right? I'm like, am I going too fast? I don't know if I am or not. What, if I were to create a music school, what I would do is this. On your last concert, you're on your own. And I'm going to evaluate you only maybe once every six weeks because you've got to build a muscle of independence. Okay. So here's what I would say, regardless of whatever tools you use. So our tools, remember, have six sessions in each one. Okay. That means if nobody goes on vacation or gets sick, um, what we suggest is that you do them every other week. And I would say you're using every tool. I would say to you, don't use the tool every time because you're sending a message. It's about the tool. I'm the guy that wrote these tools. I'm like, it's not about the tools. Do everything you can to make it feel like it's not about the tools. And I would say, for the love of heaven, when you get together, please do not ask, what'd you put on question three? What'd you put on question four? What'd you put on? It feels like, you know, we're in, we're in a classroom. Rather than, what surprised you? What did you learn about God? What, what impacted you? What is bothering you about this? And you know, when it comes, this is why the number in our church is 37. Because at a table for two, 
You can talk about a sensitive topic like tithing, and they are allowed after time to push back. I have never had in all of my years of preaching anyone raise their hand on Sunday. I'm like, you know what? I really don't like that. <laughs> I don't agree with that, right? I'd like to push back on that. It, it would be inappropriate. And most people would not do that even in a group. So when it comes to one-to-one, -one, I can't believe that God would ask for an apple. He gave me 10. Why would he want it back? I had a guy, no joke, just three weeks ago at a table for two. I was like, I don't understand the thing about weed. I mean, weed is a natural plant that God created. It was awesome conversation. <laughs> I'm like, now we're past Christianese. Let's really get raw with this thing, right? It would have never happened in a group, most likely. I'm not, I hate to say never on anything, but most likely what. But this is when you say, I don't like tithing. I can't believe God's doing it. Isn't that an Old Testament thing? Blah, blah, blah. And now you get to wrestle with it. And then when you see the light bulb come on and you see the life change, man, it is so super exciting. And this is what we're, we're uh, about. Okay, but what I would say, though, is if you meet every other week, then what it allows you to do is that you can do something different on the off weeks. Take a walk, go have lunch, go to a ball game, throw some frisbee, go fishing, go shoot a fish, eat a fish, whatever you want to do. The other thing that I like to say is that this is, this is um, not a prescription. But when you plant a church, how many church planters are in the room? Who ever planted church? God bless you. Oh, it's awesome. I love church planters. Pioneers. Um, when you plant a church, man, you get a lot of things wrong, don't you? <laughs> You're trying to make it work, and you know, but then there are some things you happen to get right. And um, and so my wife is here, by the way, uh, Carrie. And uh, just about the day I'm like, that's it, I quit. She's like, oh man, the most amazing thing happened to me today. I'm like, all right, we'll stay here. <laughs> It happened both ways. Uh, this is Jerry Clark. Jerry and I are just getting to know each other. He's been to several trainings in Florida, and he's uh, he was planting. You're planting a church pre-COVID and still planting it. So um, anyway, 222, Second yeah. Timothy 22. Uh, so pretty cool. So one of the things that we happen to get right. I want to repeat. This is not a prescription, but here's we're talking about everyday uh, people in this session. And it's a, I think it's a big deal ever how you land on this, but I think it's a big deal. Let's take soccer mom Sally, okay? Let's say soccer mom Sally is a single mom. She's got two kids. Here's what soccer mom Sally's day looks like, because I think in ministry, we sometimes forget what everyday people are going through. That's what was so rich about being bivocational for six years. I threw wire up in the attic. I was a stock boy with a 17-year-old at Pottery Barn. I, it was a good reminder. These are your people, Steve. They're not the people you had in seminary, although good people. That seminary life is not real life. Can I say that? Except from the recording, please. Yeah. <laughs> so um, soccer mom Sally wakes up around 6 o'clock in the morning because she's got to be at work at 8. She's going to get her two kids ready. She's going to feed them. She's going to dress them. She's going to make sure that she's got all the rulers and pencils and books. She's going to take them to school. She's going to drop them off. She's going to be a little late to work probably. She's stressed out already. She works a full day. 
She gets a call during the middle of the day that one of her kids is sick. What does she do? And then she, at the end of the day, she's going to pick those, those kids up. They've been in after school because she's got to work till five. She picks those kids up. She drives. She picks them up. She takes them home. Now it's dinner time. Time to feed. Time to get ready for the next school day. Time to pack a lunch, whatever she's doing. Time to get those little treasures in a bathtub and, uh, you know, get them all ready for bed. Time to tuck them in. It's about nine o'clock. She's toast. She's toast. We asked soccer mom Sally to be faithful on Sunday morning. In fact, we want her to serve someone or volunteer somewhere. We'd love for her to get in a group. So we encourage her to get in a group and we give her a, a, a brochure, a menu of all our groups, and we expect her to get in if she's going to grow. We expect her to have a relationship with her lost friends. So we want to make sure that she's establishing those. And then we're going to put this thing called discipleship. Some brick on her truck, on her load. Good luck. So it's not only an adequacy that is, that is lowering disciple making, but I propose to you is that we've lost touch with soccer mom Sally and truck driver Ted. So here's what we did. Not a prescription. Here's what we did, and it's like, dang, that really worked. <laughs> we put our group ministry every other week so that we could leave parking spots, empty parking spots, for our everyday people, our soccer mom Sally's, to do disciple-making on those off weeks. Most people that know all about this will say you can only ask three things a week. Worship, group, and then any activity that you're doing or whatever. You can only ask three things. And what we're finding is that churches are that adopt a more lean and mean um, approach they get more involvement and disciple making becomes more important. How many programs does our church have beyond disciple making and groups? Zero. Zero. Because I wanted disciple making not to be one of many menu items on a cheesecake factory menu. I wanted it to be at the centerpiece. So I'm telling you, it's really worked well for us. Take it or leave it. But gr groups every other week. And so all of our church, they do groups Every, uh, on this week. Next week, no groups. Go out and make, you know, be involved in disciple making. And that, that really has worked well. Okay, so. When you yes. say be involved, so you mean making time that <clears throat> disciple making week for scheduling the one-on-one -on -one time? Yes, yes. So I have, I'm in a men's group. I'm in, uh, I don't lead it intentionally. And my men's group meets on Saturday morning, 7 a.m. And so uh, next Saturday, I'll be meeting with my disciple because I don't have group that day. So all groups one week, no groups the next week. And uh, it really has allowed people to get involved at a disciple-making level. Uh, take a leave. So let's say you do, but even if you don't do that, even if you say, hey, I, I can't move the cheese. I can't, you know, it's going to rock my church. I can't make groups every other week. I get it. I still, at least from my perspective, would say do disciple-making with the tools every other week. Otherwise, it's going to sound like, feel like you're, you're really driving the tools. Hey, I want to interrupt this episode real quick because I want to give a shout out to four of our key partners who will be leading track sessions at the National Disciple Making Forum coming up in Nashville, October 5th and 6th. Check out Awana for information on family discipleship at awana.org. 
take a look at Mercy Multiplied for discipling women, especially women who need special support. Their website is mercymultiplied.com. Do you find yourself wanting to help in transitioning your church to a disciple-making focus? Then go to navigatorschurchministries.com for more resources. And lastly, should you need help with sustainable discipleship models, head on over to sustainablediscipleship.com. I encourage you to join one of the track sessions that these organizations will lead at our forum. We want to thank Awana, Mercy Multiplied, Navigators Church Ministries, and Sustainable Discipleship for their support. All right, let's get back to the episode. So let's say you did this, all right? I'm, I'm getting at something bigger here. We're talking, we're talking details of schedule, but there's something really big here. So let's say you do 12, you know, every other week, at least with our tools or any tools you use, whatever, but the 24 weeks, that's about a half a year. I know everybody would gasp, a half a year, because if you go through our tools at this pace, it will take you a year, and that's if nobody hovers, gets sick, goes on vacation, blah, blah, blah. And the reason is because there's something that happens at the six-month mark. I can't explain it. I can't put it on paper. I'm just telling you from years of experience that it takes that amount of time. Let me explain. Adam mastered hiding. We talked about this in our last session. He was the master of hiding, and we have inherited that nature, especially men. We're very good at going in our cave and keeping everything to ourselves. So what we're trying to do through the tools and through meeting and through the Holy Spirit and time, it takes time for the wall of Adam to come down. I, being honest with you, it's hard for me to, to see like a, you know, a 10-week plan and expect the wall of Adam to have come down. And I will say this, and in, in, in some interaction with, with Larry Crabb, Larry Crabb makes this statement. He said, I am confident that a certain level of life change depends on a certain level of relationship. Let me, let me repeat that. A certain level of life change depends on a certain level of relationship. You think about the people who have invested in your life. When I came to Christ, studying to be piano, uh, concert pianist at a high level, I came to church. I was so hungry for God, and I didn't know how to define it. And so when I walked in that day, the pastor was preaching. He was from India. English was not his primary language. It was difficult to understand. The building was shabby. The choir had eight people that shouldn't have been. There was nothing attractive about this scenario. <laughs> you could not have kept me from Christ that day. Anybody want to anybody give their life to God? Raise your hand. Boy, I raised my hand. Anybody raise your hand? Come on down front. Nope. Not, I don't know what you guys do when you come down front, right? Do you get branded? Do you get your head shaved? Or poke out one eye? <laughs> uh, but on the way out of the church, he said, hey, um, my name is Titus, and I saw you raise your hand. And I said, yep, I sure did. And he goes, do you want to accept Christ in your life? I said, man, I don't understand what that means. I don't know that language, but I know I'm looking for God. He said, would you like to go to my office at a table for two and have a conversation? I said, I sure would. 
And three hours later, I had moved from darkness to light. Now, what I didn't know, because I didn't know anything about anything about the church culture, he was part pastor, part landlord. There was a big apartment building right next to the, to the church. And uh, he said, hey, I got an opening uh, in one of my apartment flats. You have a roommate. He's going to Berkeley School of uh, Jazz right, right down the street from your school. And uh, would you like to, to have a... Well, I lived in a rat hole in the inner city. I'm like, that was a no-brainer. So I moved in. <laughs> Every Thursday night, Titus invited me up. Everyday guy, a piano player. Every Thursday night, up to his flat, apartment flat, to have dinner with he and his wife and his two small kids. I became part of a small family in a very big city. After dinner, he said, you want to go have, you want to go into my study and, uh, and we'll, we'll talk some. I'm like, I sure would. What I learned in that time is that I learned a lot of things on Sunday morning. I was full bore, man. I went to every Bible study I, they had concentrated time. But here at a table for two, I could say, hey, I'm doing some things that don't seem lined up with the Bible. Is that cool? I could say, Titus, I'm trying my dead level best to pray, man. And I run out after, hey, dude, thanks for <laughs> saving me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> And it became life-changing in, in the content. But after six months, we were together a year and a half. After six months, here's what happened for an everyday guy. Super, 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 super critical. It became safe. It became safe. And I'm afraid that in our fast-paced culture, we've missed this aspect for everyday people, we've got to have time. Have you noticed trying to speed up things that should grow naturally, like steroids and chickens, turned out not to be a great idea? We can make them bigger, faster. You know, genetically modified produce, well, probably wasn't a great idea, but we'll make them grow faster, larger, and all that stuff. It's the same with, it's more so with the relationships. We can't rush them. And so, anyway, so what happens then when we get so our first module, disciple maker, disciple. Second module, which is module number one. You make me feel so good. <laughs> Second module, disciple maker, disciple. Third module, no disciple book. Iron sharpening iron. Now we're really into it about six to eight months. Why? Because we don't want to say, First concert, you're on your own. We want them to flex their muscle and speak into our lives, because we need it, first of all, speak in our lives so that they feel adequate when it gives time, for, it gets time for them to, to, to move on. Does that make sense? So we've equipped, you'll, in our tools, we equip them like, hey, let's do some assessments, some personality assessments. We'll do one of each. And so after knowing each other for six to eight months, they're now able to speak into our lives. So that's why one of the reasons why we have everyday people at above 80% So because we got to get them ready. We've got to get their, their muscles warmed up before they do it, all right? So our tools kind of go like this. Um, we have a guide, we have an introduction and study, and we have a meeting, the conversation. So we have coach, content, and conversation. We're leading to the conversation. Our whole thing is how do you get to a conversation that opens up? We're learning truth. 
we're learning information. I get that. But we're trying to open up a conversation. So we do that in a number of different ways. I won't. Um, many people have asked us, are your tools for new believers? So I do like to say that we ran our main tool exchange for three years or so in our own church. When I saw someone leading someone to Christ, then I'm, I was asking them, is this tool too heavy for a new believer? And I kept getting, yes, it's a little heavy. So wrote this book for next, and you can just see, here's your new identity in Christ starting up there in the upper left, how to begin to read the Bible, how to begin to pray, baptism, the Holy Spirit, how to deal with temptation, God loves you no matter what, how to begin to share your story, the importance of local church community, the importance of serving, how to determine the will of God, and how to be umbilically dependent on God. We have found this to be an effective um, uh, ramp to, to even something deeper. But we still, as an early believer, we still say it's important to have the table for two because as we come to Christ, there's still a lot of mud of the world on our shoes and we don't know how to deal with it. That's so critical. We typically will take a new believer and put him or her in a new member class. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying it's not enough. We had a guy come to Christ a few weeks ago, and he walked in really downcast. Eric, who's not here, our executive pastor is downstairs. He looked at him, and he knew. He knew the devil had bitten him in the rear. He said, you're, you're struggling this week, aren't you? And you don't think, you're wondering if you even got saved. And the guy said, how did you know? Because we've all had the mud of the world on our shoes. There was, because he had someone to talk to. That's the big, big deal for new believers. He had someone to talk to and said, I got mud on my shoes. And the devil is tearing me up. And he's saying that I am not adequate for this journey. And maybe I'm not even on this journey. And that is so super, super critical. I love the fact that when a person comes to Christ, wherever you're using, I so love the fact we're talking about disciple making. Because without that, it is, it is, let me say this too. Um, I can't remember if I said it in this session or not, uh, but I, I don't think so. I'm proposing this to you with our two-circle operating system. I wonder if we have, in our church culture, created more comfortability for extroverts than we have introverts. So when you ask an introvert to lead a group, or if they're super shy, I'm an introvert, but if super shy, they're probably not. But I'm going to tell you, every day, super shy people make amazing disciple makers. Amazing. They have now found a place where they could participate. So, anyway, all right. So, um, tomorrow, if you're interested, um, we talk about getting beyond information uh, transfer. Um, we have in every session of our tools what we call <coughs> labs. Labs. It's like chemistry. You learn some things from a book, you learn some things in the lab. And so, what we've done in order to overcome information transfer for the everyday person, we've put a lab in every single session. So what I mean by that is that Peter was not given a book to read about faith, or Jesus didn't preach a message to him. He created a storm and a little boat, and he asked Peter to get outside. When we talk about the resurrection, we say, hey, we're going to go to a funeral service together. Solomon says, better to be in the house of mourning than it is the house of celebration. We, we walk in a cemetery together, and we talk about the power of the resurrection. 
Our family moved together in Sarasota 20 years ago. It was the first time in years we'd been together. And two weeks later, my father and my mom were in a car accident. My dad was killed. When I'm walking in that, that cemetery, as a disciple maker, I begin to open up. I'm like, man, it was the most traumatic uh, intersection of my life. And uh, the, the guy I would disciple, he started, that I'm finishing up with right now, we came upon a children's area in the cemetery. He started weeping. Wall of Adam just came down a little bit, by the way. I said, what's the story? He said, when I was five years old, my two-year-old sister died. Mm. We're always asking, God, lead me in this conversation. I said, what would that do to your mom? He said, I didn't have a mom for 10 years. She was MIA. She was emotionally wrecked. I said, Dave, what do you think about the resurrection? See, we're going to get to the resurrection, but we're going to customize it. And that is so... So critical for everyday people. So at the end of this, if you've texted small circle to 97,000, there is a, uh, a link there and uh, it offers you our tools for at no cost. So um, let me thank you. I know that there are so many choices in a conference and I appreciate you uh, taking time to, to find out about us. We have a table downstairs, of course, if you want to pop by. Uh, we'll have people down there. I want to pray for you before you, you go. I want to pray for your brains. I know that they're <laughs> like a sponge. Thank you, Father, so much for this time. Would you remind us, God, would you remind us of the hardship of the, of the load, our everyday people, our soccer mom, Sally, and our truck driver, Ted, carries every day of their life. And help us to be empathetic and help us to be strategic on how to bring disciple-making in their life and make it a reality for your glory, God, and to accomplish the assignment you've given to us. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that track session. Make sure you stay tuned because up next, we've got another track session from Small Circle coming at you. And I just want to remind you to go ahead and mark those calendars for October 5th and 6th so you can come see us live and in person in Nashville, Tennessee for our 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.